Week 16, push through it. It's kind of weird being on the live stream here in this double the size space because there's a lot more echo and the carpet and down and it's uh, it's like you're talking to you know thousands of people and there's like 10 people in the room and I don't know who's on the other side of the camera but I'm glad you're here um, I'm gonna I, I believe this word is uh, is going to be an on-time word tonight talking about push through it continuing in our study of Acts uh, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas have both just completed their first missionary journey teaching and preaching from town to town in Jewish synagogues. And even in the courts of a governor, if you remember, they were going from synagogue to synagogue preaching about the fact that, hey, you know that Messiah that you're praying for? He's already shown up. And as they kept preaching, he got invited. They got invited to go into the courts of a governor, and people started uh, coming to believe. And, and, of course, in the midst of all that, going from Jewish synagogue to synagogue to the temples to the courts of governor, people believing, of course, they were enduring opposition all in the midst of it, seeing both Jew and Gentile coming to believe Jesus. Now, I want to point out something that I didn't point out last week about what Paul and Barnabas are doing. I want to point out the strategy of what Paul and Barnabas are doing on this travel to get to this place where they're seeing believers and seeing uh, that God just move throughout the synagogues and the streets and the temples and and, and the, the government courts. They went to public places of worship the Jewish synagogues, and they started preaching in the middle of the temple. Preaching in the place where the Messiah, where they were still praying for the Messiah to come. And Paul and Barnabas get up and start saying, he's already been. He came, he died, he rose again. Some believed him, some wanted to kill him, and others just said, get the heck out of here. Sometimes it worked. Sometimes it didn't. But the strategy that Paul and Barnabas using, going from place to place to place, even in the midst of opposition, in the face of opposition, where people turn against them, I want to point out something beautiful. The strategy never changed. And with that strategy of going from town to town to town, we pick up in Acts 14, verse 1, the same thing happened in Iconium. Paul and Barnabas, this is Acts 14, 1. Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue, here we go, and preached with such power that a great number of both Jews and, and Greeks became believers. Notice, Paul and Barnabas didn't re-strategize. They didn't rethink their tactic just because all of this opposition came, because the enemy came, because they were asked to leave, because people were coming against them, because people were calling them sorcerers and crazy people. They didn't change their tactic. They didn't rethink what they were doing. It did not always prove the most fruitful, but the fruit of believers was actually not the thing that made Paul and Barnabas go preach. You see, we think the reason Paul and Barnabas went to go preach was because they wanted to get more people to be added to the church. But the reason they went 
and did this strategy, the fruit was believers. The fruit was that the church would be added. But the reason Paul and Barnabas went, it was actually a very simplistic reason. They weren't trying to grow their organization. Paul and Barnabas weren't trying to create a name for themselves. They went because of one thing, and I'm going to pull a verse out of last week's message, Acts chapter 13, the previous chapter, verse 4. It says, so Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia, and then they sailed for the island of Cyprus, and we begin to see the strategy, town to town to town, until they finally get to the place where they're going to see the fruit of their travel, the fruit of their ministry. Paul and Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas, whichever you want to refer to Paul as, Paul or Saul, they went because of one thing. They were sent by the Holy Spirit. And there are too many people that are moved by the possibility of fruit Instead of believing that the Holy Spirit can lead you to a place that seems like it cannot produce and let fruit come out of barren grounds. But what we do as a church is we get we dive into what seems like can be the most productive for us. What is the best use of our time? And God says, what seems like may be the best use of your time is limited thinking based off of what I want to do. Because where the towns were that looked like they were hopeless, Holy Spirit said, go there. The amount of fruit in going into something cannot be the determining factor on your go. And too many ministries make moves based off of where can we get the most fruit, the most people, when maybe fruit should be simply teaching people how to push through it so that we can see sustained fruit rather than a lot of fruit that spoils quickly. And what's happened in the church is we try to get all this fruit of believers but the moment something happens, the moment opposition comes, the moment someone makes a mistake, the moment something doesn't go our way, the believers fall, the, root, the fruit spoils, and all of a sudden you don't see any fruit in the house anymore. You don't see any fruit in their lives anymore. You have so many believers that are not producing the spiritual fruit that God says is the automatic product of a life in God. We're, we're looking for, to, to do the wrong thing. God says, no, 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 I want a sustained fruit. John 15, 5-8 says this. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me, someone say remain, those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. It doesn't say you will produce much fruit automatically. It says you will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if, but if you, here it is, again, remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. Not when you say you believe, when you produce then you are true disciples. So let me just tell all y'all on the other side of the camera, if you're not producing, you're not truly a disciple of Jesus. You're simply someone who follows crowds and tries to touch his cloak so you can get a healing and then go about your business and claim you believe in Jesus Christ. But if you're not producing the fruit that the Bible says, you're not truly a disciple. 
This brings great glory to my Father. Notice what he says. The whole point of it is not even to bring great glory to Jesus. He says, the point of this that I came is to bring the glory to my Father who sent me. Even Jesus pushes glory up. But what happens with us is we start to produce some fruit, and we get some glory, and we, we eat it up. The purpose of all of it was to give glory to the Father. See, there's nothing wrong with a lot of fruit in your life. And I think sometimes that can be a mixed message in the church, that we preach like this poverty message that we should just go without and not produce. There's nothing wrong with much fruit. But much fruit should not come from an automatic, let me go where I can get it. It should come from one place, remaining in him, no matter what the place you're in looks like. And it says when we remain in him and push through it, someone say push through it. When we remain in him and push through it, when it doesn't seem to work, we're actually led to much producing. But what happens is when God leads you to a place and you don't see the production of fruit in your life automatically, you question everything and we make decisions and we go the opposite direction and God says if you would just remain, you won't just produce enough to go, you'll produce much. Notice Paul and Barnabas, they were going from town to town to town. They didn't, the first town they went to, it doesn't talk about any fruit or the second, or the third. They went from town to town to town to town until they ended up in a place that produced much because they didn't let the circumstances of step one, two, and three cause them to waver on them knowing that the Holy Spirit told us to go and there will be fruit. And we are going to push through when we don't see any of it. I wonder, do you push through in remaining in Christ when seasons become unfruitful? Or do you rethink your life at every bend and turn when no fruit is produced? See, we tend to do that as people. When we don't see fruit, we rethink our purpose. Is this where God wants me? Is this what I'm supposed to do? But not every place you go produces fruit. But my God says, I have directed and ordered every step. And you're not going to know step 10. But if you'll be, if you'll push through steps 1 through 9 with no fruit, when you get to 10, that fruit you get from 10 takes care of what you wanted 1 through 9. John 15, 16. You did not choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. You see, we always quote it, go and produce fruit, but that's not what it says. It says, I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit, fruit that remains as you remain in me, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. God chose you, so let him choose the how as well. Even when it seems like his how doesn't seem as productive as you think it should. And that's one of the biggest things that I've had to learn in my life up to this point. Not that I'm an old guy, but I'm not a young guy either. I'm in my, you know, mid, um, like, I mean, next year will be 35, middle 30s. That's, that's old for me. So, I mean, just, you know, some of y'all, y'all just old, old. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm 35. I feel like I've lived a little bit. I've had to learn, even in the starting of the ministry and serving in different ministries, that I can't look at my place 
based off of the fruit now. What I have to keep my eyes on is am I remaining in him? And if I'm remaining in him, I'm going to push through no matter if it's, there's fruit or not. Because when I remain in him, I have a peace that will not make me waver. So when I go through a season that's shaky and no fruit, I'm not going, where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? I'm keeping my eyes on the one that I'm remaining in. Paul and Barnabas never changed the strategy. They abided in the voice and leading of God. And again, verse 1 says, a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. After town to town to town to town. But even with fruit, that does not mean the absence of opposition. And there are so many people, that, and especially in the midst of COVID-19, have been thinking, well, there's been so much good, so much good, so much fruit. Why is this happening? My question to you is, why are you surprised? My Bible says there is nothing new under the sun. We've seen breakthroughs of plagues in Egypt, but when a plague hits America, we think the Armageddon's coming. Even with fruit, that does not mean the absence of opposition. Watch what happens with all of this fruit of all of these disciples and believers that are coming at the word of Paul and Barnabas. Look at Acts chapter 14, 2 through 6. Some of the Jews, however, you always had those however people, no matter how good it's going, you got the, well, but these people of it. Some of the Jews, however, spurned God's message and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. Can you, now I want you to, pause for a second. Can you imagine this? Paul and Barnabas are speaking life, that there's hope, and people get mad about that and start poisoning the minds of all the people hearing so that the people will turn against this hope message that Paul and Barnabas are giving? Verse 3, but the apostles stayed there a long time, preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord. And the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. They did not let the opinions of the crowd the opinions of the people shift their strategy. It, when all this poison mind stuff was going on, it says they remained a long time and they preached boldly. And they got the power to do signs and wonders. Now, I'm thinking in America, if there is a people that remained in him to such a degree and preached boldly and God gave the power to do miraculous signs and wonders, you would think that everyone would come in on the streets and go, hallelujah, I want a piece of that, and that's what we refer to today as revival. I actually think that revival should not be the goal. One of our core values is actually that we're passionate for revival. But the reason we're passionate for revival is because we don't want to get to a revival. We want revival for a restoration that sustains. These people, you would have thought, oh, signs and wonders, this is great. People are happy. Look at verse 4. But the people of the town were divided in their opinion about them. Some sided with the Jews, some with the apostles, and then a mob of Gentiles and Jews, remember because their minds were being poisoned, gossip, lies. A mob of Gentiles and Jews along with the leaders decided to attack and stone them. 
Listen to that. Paul and Barnabas got stoned because they were healing people. When the apostles learned of it, verse 6, they fled to the region of Lyconia, to the towns of Lystra and Derbe and the surrounding area, and there they preached the good news. Tremendous opposition came. People were spreading lies, poisoning the minds of the people about Paul and Barnabas. A mob of people even stoned them. And all they were doing was preaching the truth of Jesus and giving signs and wonders by the power of God. And it says they stayed as long as they could. They only left when it was necessary. Why? To me, I would have left when they started picking up the stones. But they didn't leave because of that. They stayed as long as it was necessary. Why? They needed to push through because it was not about them. It was about the thing they were called to. They had to make sure one thing, and this is where the church misses it, and just giving you some vision, this is where we've got to shift when we start meeting back again and where we've got to make sure the culture of this ministry is. They needed to make sure that all these new believers that were coming to know them were grounded in the midst of the lies and gossip. Because if they were not grounded and they left, all the fruit that was produced would have done what? Spoiled. And what happens in the church is we get all this fruit and then we turn for more fruit and no one's taking care of that fruit and it doesn't last and it spoils and people are without and they don't know how to stand their ground and when life happens, they lose their faith. So many times we leave people stranded and not grounded because we don't push through. Something happens, we leave. Something happens, and oh, God's, God's moving me. Where's your push through? I, I, I truly, at the end of my life, I want to be able to say I, I, I led a church of push through people. God doesn't change his mind every minute of the day. God doesn't change his mind every other month. In fact, God don't change his mind. They did not leave until they were until the people were grounded enough to be sustained in their faith and knowledge without the need for Paul and Barnabas. Matthew 28:19, this is a very popular scripture, but it's so appropriate. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say, therefore, go and make believers. Because you can believe something and not be devoted to it. You can believe that, you know, doing A for so long will produce B. But just because you believe that A produces B don't mean you are devoted to A and you wonder why you never see B. It says, go and make disciples. Making disciples is not getting people to sign a salvation card, and making disciples is not getting people healed. Is healing people great? Yeah. Does God want to use miraculous signs and wonders? Yeah. But there are so many times where people get a healing, and they attribute it to a preacher instead of God. They attribute it to the circumstances instead of God. They attribute it to a revival, and they worship the revival instead of the God who allowed it to happen through the revival. I hear more reports about, you know, the Brownsville revival than the God who made it happen. 
Okay, I hear more reports about, you know, a Brownsville, not, not that it wasn't legitimate, but what have we done? We've given more glory to the thing instead of our God in heaven who released it through a thing. We have got to, we, making disciples is making sure that people are grounded in your absence. And sometimes their discipleship is dependent on your push-through because with the people that you disciple, are you going to push through when they reject you? Are you going to push through when your disciple gets angry with you? Are you going to push through when the person your disciple doesn't, honoring, doesn't honor you? I hear that junk all the time from preachers. Well, I'm not going to disciple them because they don't honor me. Shut up. You don't deserve honor. He does. Humble yourselves before men and serve the purpose of those that you need to get grounded. Glad we got one clapping. Push through it. Father them. Mother them. So when it was necessary, finally they were led after being town to town to town, after preaching and healing people, signs and wonders, then being stoned, they were led to the region of like Lycania, whatever that word is, and Lystra and Derbe. Now, here, now here's the thing. They were planned to be stoned, okay? The stoning hadn't happened quite yet. They heard the reports that we were about to get stoned. Didn't move them. They moved when it was, they were grounded. So they move on with the reports of all this, oh, we're going to get stoned and we're going to get hurt. And look what happens in verse 7. When they got to the region of Lysania, it says, there they preached the good news, and while they were at Lystra, Paul and Barnabas came upon a man with crippled feet. He had been that way from birth, so he had never walked. He was sitting and listening as Paul preached. And looking straight at him, Paul realized he had faith to be healed. So Paul called him in a loud voice, stand up. And the man jumped to his feet and started walking. I'm going to point something out. The apostles did not go to the town looking to heal people. And they didn't announce to the public, we have a healing service at 6 o'clock, come join us. And if you're a preacher and you do that, listen up. Because I'm right and you're wrong. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. The, the apostles did not go into a town looking for people to heal. They went for one purpose. They went... To spread the word of God. And while they were being obedient and spreading the word of God, in the crowd, there was a man who was hearing the word. And when he was hearing the word, his faith rose up and, and, and Paul saw that man's got faith to be healed. What causes a man to have faith to be healed? He hears a sound that is different than any other sound and he starts to identify with it. Even though they had to leave another town and almost got stoned, their strategy did not change. They pushed through it. And what's powerful, this man that could not walk, he heard the word of God, and his doubt to walk was replaced by a faith to walk that he never had before. Paul recognized it, said, stand up, and there was no argument. The man didn't say, I couldn't stand. He just got up. 
All because they pushed through and they preached by the leaning of God, even though everything in the world said, you better stop talking. And there are so many moments missed because something someone should have heard through you is never heard because you didn't push through because it got too hard. I wonder how many people missed that sound that that man heard from Paul when he heard about the grace of God and all of a sudden doubt of ever walking again was replaced with, I can walk. But we don't push through. Well, Kyle, it's, it's really easy to say push through it. You don't know what I, what I go through. You don't know my circumstances. Exodus 14, 14, the Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Your pushing through is the evidence of your faith that he is fighting for you. But here's the key. Our God fights for us for his glory, not yours. And we spend so much time testifying about our glory and not his. And what Paul and Barnabas are about to go through, it's a time where they get glory and we see what they do with it. It's real easy to take glory for yourself, especially when you listen to God and you see fruit. When you see people's lives being changed, oh, I did that. I, look, look at the fruit of my ministry. It's easy to take glory for ourselves. Paul and Barnabas are about to go through this testing. It says in Acts 14, 11, this all right. It says, everyone makes fun of me. I always say that stuff. Ryan, the drummer, for those of you that don't know who he is, earlier we were talking about the coffee bar going in in the church, and he said, can we make a drink that says, is this okay, latte? <laughs> uh, is that, yeah, okay. Acts, Acts 14, verse 11. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in their local dialect, these men are gods in human form. They decided that Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus and Paul was Hermes. Why is that? Hermes was a Greek god known for having great communication. Paul was a great speaker. So they, okay, well, these are gods. That must be because what were they doing? Healing people. They decided that Barnabas was a Greek god Zeus and Paul was Hermes since he was the chief speaker. Now the temple of Zeus was now the temple of Zeus was located just outside the town. So the priests of the temple and the crowd brought bulls and wreaths of flowers to the town gates, and they prepared to offer sacrifices to the apostles. Now that's tempting. Because you think about men and women of God in America. It's real easy to take blessings from people. Because they're trying to give you glory and not God. Now, I'm not saying reject the blessing. I'm not saying that. When God wants to bless you, it can come in many forms. It can come with God giving it to you. It can come through with someone else giving it to you. But don't accept the blessing as a sacrifice for your glory. And you make sure when you get something, you push it in the right direction and not take it for yourself. The people didn't give God glory for the miracle. The people, let me say that again. The people did not give God glory for the miracle. They heard the preaching and they gave glory to Roman and Greek gods. People were getting ready to sacrifice for the apostles. 
Be careful when you are there for people that when they praise you, you push the praise of the one who deserves it. Just because people see the proof of God in you doesn't mean they receive it in the right way. That's the difference between the fruit of a believer and the fruit of a disciple. Because there are so many times where we walk and we meet needs and all people see is you who met the need. Or they give the glory to their idea of who God is because you never took the time to give glory to the God who it truly was. You think about that. You can bless someone and they go home and worship a God that is not Jesus. And they're giving glory to the wrong thing because you never took the opportunity to teach truth and disciple them. Because what happened in your heart is you got happy that you did something and you got happy so you took the glory and walked off and they're left trying to figure out what God made that happen. Oh, it must be karma. Do you, do you know that I, I, I heard the statistic this week, 80% of Mormons are ex-Christians? Because there's a lot of fruit of believers, but no discipleship. So they're trying to figure out where do we give glory to. This is good stuff. So this is what they do in verse 14. When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard what was happening, they tore their clothing in dismay and ran out among the people shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We're merely human beings just like you. We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. In the past, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, but he never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. See, he permits you to go your own way. He permits you to believe what you want to believe, but he doesn't leave that permission without the evidence of him. He says, for instance, he sends you rain and good crops and gives you food and joyful hearts. Let me tell you what's going on here. The reason they tore their clothes, it was a Jewish sign of blasphemy. If you remember when Jesus was in the temple, when they asked who he was and he said, I am the Christ, they tore off their priestly garments. It was a sign of blasphemy. They did the same thing. Paul and Barnabas knew the crowd, and they were not going to let them believe for a second that they were going to get glory. And some of the push-through for us is intentionally pushing glory up, and that's hard to do when people see you prosper. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 talks about prospering. It says, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. God wants you to prosper and move forward. Now, I want to make sure we're clear because I'm not going to be labeled a prosperity guy. I'm not talking about riches as far as labeling wealth. I'm talking about the riches of your walk in the kingdom of God. God wants you to prosper. He wants you to move forward. But it's so easy to forget to take the riches you receive, and, and, and it's easy to forget to bless his name because you get so blinded by the riches. Look what I got. Look what I did. God's blessing me. God's blessing me. And God's like, well, when are you going to bless me for blessing you? Here's the proof of my existence. And we say, well, I worked for it. I got it. I did it. So? 
No one's disputing that you worked for it and you created it and you did it and you made it happen. But use that as the opportunity to give glory if you are truly humble in your walk. Paul says, y'all, y'all had the evidence. He says, y'all got good crops. Who you think sent the rain? But you too busy giving glory to a false god at the temple instead of, and you saw a real miracle today. You saw the real stuff today. And when we tell you who it is, you try to give glory to us instead of the God that we tell you it is. And some people's gods are work ethic and money. How'd you make so much money? Oh, I work hard. Yeah, you did. But you know what Deuteronomy 8.18 says? It says this. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful. In order to fulfill the covenant he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. The reason you're able to have a great worth ethic is because he put it in you. So no matter what you do, there's never an excuse to not shift the glory. He's the one who gave you the ability even before you believed, so believe and shift it up to him. Now this message is called push through it. And people don't like it when you hear give God credit for your success. But watch what happens in verse 18 of Acts 14. But even with these words, Paul and Barnabas could scarcely restrain the people from sacrificing to them. I thought that was pretty convincing. They still couldn't get the people to believe to do it. And then, verse 19, some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowds to their side, and they stoned Paul. Remember that crowd? That plan? Paul got stoned. And they dragged him out of town thinking he was dead. We ain't talking about a couple of of rocks thrown at Paul. He was stoned so bad they thought he was dead. Some scholars even believe that Paul actually died in that moment. No one really knows. You can believe what you want to believe. But look what happens in the next verse, verse 20. But as the believers gathered around him, he got up. And he went back into the town. You telling me that when he didn't leave the town? That dude just got stoned. And he went, he, he's supposed to leave, right? He went back into the town. Then the next day he left with Barnabas for Derbe. The people who were spreading the lies convinced the people to stone them. And he didn't say, I'm done. He got up and went back into the town. Talk about pushing through it. Why? Because he was not led by do these people accept me. He was led by God, you tell me when to move. And I wonder why. Why did he go back into this town of Lystra? Dude just got stoned. They thought he was dead. He was so beaten and bruised and bloodied and hurt. I'm going to give a little spoiler alert for what happens in two chapters. In Acts 16, it starts with this in verse 1. Paul went first to Derbe and then to Lystra, (laughs) where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. Paul had no idea that his spiritual son that we read so much about in the Bible 
was a Jewish boy who probably witnessed him get stoned. Paul did not see the fruit of Timothy in the midst of stoning. It was later. Because you don't get to see all the fruit for your push through automatically. You push through it, and God knows where the fruit will come eventually. And let me say this. I want to point out verse 20 again. The believers gathered around Paul. He got up and went back into the town. The next day he left with Barnabas. Sometimes to push through it, we need to surround ourselves with believers. Because Paul, who is arguably one of the greatest apostles, people say, he was about to die. And he needed believers to surround him. And it says when they surrounded him, he got up. We are called a body of Christ. Think about how your body works. I've been up here trying to work a little bit. The construction workers laugh when I say work, but I consider it work. I got cuts. But when you get cut, think about what happens. Your body goes into a fight mode to heal the cut. Why do we act so differently when God gives us a picture of unity in our physical body where your whole body works for one cut? And in the church, when someone falls, we leave them alone and we walk the opposite direction when they simply need people to surround them so that they can get up. We've got to work together so that we can all push through it. Verse 21 through 26, and this is, I'm closing with this. After preaching the good news in Derbe and making many disciples, not believers, disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Sidia, where they strengthened the believers. They encouraged him to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in every church. With prayer and fasting, they turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they put their trust. Then they traveled back through Sidia to Pamphylia. They preached the word in Persia. Then they went down to Italia. Finally, they returned by ship to Antioch of Syria where their journey had begun. And the believers there had entrusted them to the grace of God to do the work that they now had completed. They went back to the place of rejection and they stayed until the people were sustained and ready to be without them. Because Paul and Barnabas were not about the glory of their agenda. They were about God's glory and they were not going to let intimidation and hardship cause them to back off. And because they pushed through the most insane circumstances... Many disciples were made, and many churches were established in all the cities. And I want to close this out with a part that I think many dismiss, because I even dismissed it. I read through, because there's two more verses of this chapter, and I read through the verses, you know, because at the end of a chapter, you kind of get through the verses quick, thinking, oh, it's just a nice end, like, oh, that's a nice way to write the ending, but there's something about these two verses, and I think it's just such an appropriate way to close the message called push through it, because how many of you know that to push through it, it's tiring, and a lot of times the reason we don't push through is because we're tired of pushing, 
Look what happens in the last two verses, 27 to 28. Upon arriving in Antioch, they called the church together. They reported everything that God had done through them, not everything they did, everything God did through them, and how he opened the door of faith to the Gentiles too. Now here's where it is. And they stayed there with the believers for a long time. Why is that significant? They didn't have any work to do with the believers that they had already been allowed to leave. Because those believers had been discipled to a place where the only reason Paul and Barnabas could go is they didn't need them. So what does that mean for Paul and Barnabas? After pushing through so much, they went back, they testified, and they got to rest. It says, a long time. God knows exactly what you need, and the fruit of your push-through is the rest needed for the next season of pushing. So let's learn to push through, knowing that God supplies our every need, so that he would get glory in all things through our lives that he purchased. You may not see fruit automatically, but the promise is fruit. And I'll say to you tonight, if you have not seen fruit, you've got more pushing to do. And once you see the fruit, you'll be led to a place of rest to prepare you for the next push. Amen?